the Old Testament reading can be found on page 752 and is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65 and beginning at verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of a mere thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. <clears throat> they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will never harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading uh, is from Philippians chapter 3 and starting at verse 17 and you will find that on page 1180 Philippians chapter 3 join with others in following my example brothers and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, good morning and a very happy new year to you all. It's great to see you all and to be back here for the beginning of a new year in our life together. And as often is the case at the beginning of a year, we're thinking about this morning the vision for the year ahead. And Mike's going to be doing that specifically next Sunday with Theme Verse Sunday. Please do come along for that. But this morning we're thinking a bit more generally as to what our perspective should be on the year ahead. And we're going to be focusing in on one particular verse in that passage we've just had read out for us. And that's verse 20. If you've got your Bibles, do open it up at Philippians chapter 3 on page 1180. And I'll read verse 20 out for us. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi saying this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit now that you might enliven it in our lives, that we might richly receive your treasures of truth, that we might be partakers of your holy calling and that we might be transformed into your likeness afresh. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, before digging in, I just want to begin with a very quick story that I came across recently about catching monkeys. Uh, you heard, right? Catching monkeys. Um, I came across a story that in, in Africa, native African monkey catchers for centuries have used a certain technique to catch small monkeys. And what they do is they get a coconut and they cut it in half, they hollow it out, and in one half of the coconut they, they drill a little hole but big enough for a monkey to put their hand through. And then in the other half of the coconut, they put an orange. Then they sew the two halves of the coconut back together and stick that coconut tied to a tree nearby. And what happens is that the very sad and hapless monkey wanders along, climbs the tree, sees the coconut, sees the orange on the inside of the coconut, and sticks his hand or her hand into the coconut and grabs hold of the orange but sadly can't get it out of the hole while they're holding the orange. And monkeys being monkeys, fascinatingly, they refuse to let go of the orange. And so they're just there for hours and sometimes days holding on to this orange, trying to get out of this hole, out of the coconut. And guess what happens? Well, the native hunters come along and just throw a net over the monkey, and that's that. Really sad, really sad story. One you're going to remember, though. <laughs> don't pray for the monkey. Well, you could pray for the monkeys. I don't know. The reason I wanted to start with that is that what's going on at the beginning of this passage in Philippians 3 is very much that kind of scenario. Paul starts by talking about a group of people that have been so intent on getting something, gripping onto it so tightly that it's led to their demise. Well, all the while, they could have let go and have been saved. Verses 18 and 19, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now say even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He's talking about Christians who've gone off the reservation and got obsessed by other things. And he highlights one in particular, gluttony. Their God is their stomach. They're, they're just looking forward to the next Roman feast. They're just looking forward to the next extravagant meal and they just can't get enough. And they've become obsessed by it. And it, it's become what we would say an idol to them. They've started to worship food. And it leads to their destruction. Now, this isn't to highlight some of us who might have had a, a bit, bit more than usual over the last couple of weeks of food and drink. This isn't that kind of idea of the occasional excess. These are a group of people that have just made life all about it. And it leads to their destruction. They call themselves Christians, but they've gone off and ended up as enemies of the cross, Paul says. Serious stuff. And we might say, actually... Well, that doesn't really apply to me. I, I like food. I like making food, perhaps. I like eating food. But I'm not obsessed by it. It's not that kind of thing where I grip onto it and it leads to my destruction. Well, Paul diagnoses the root condition behind this group's obsession. Verse 19, it says, Their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. And that is much more dangerous and much more applicable to all of us, actually, they would suggest. That we all too often set our minds on earthly things and obsess over them. We start to almost worship them in our devotion, in our attention towards them. They take the place of God. They become those idols that we often talk about. And this can be a whole host of things. It's more than just physical things. It can be emotional things. It can be things that normally aren't very harmful. But when they become ultimate things, become very dangerous and harmful. The Christian author Brendan Manning puts it like this. I can be addicted to vodka or to being nice, to marijuana or being loved, to cocaine or being right, to gambling or relationships, to golf or gossiping. Perhaps my addiction is food, performance, money, popularity, power, revenge, reading, television, tobacco, weight, or winning. When we give anything more priority than that which we give to God, we commit idolatry. Thus, we all commit idolatry countless times every day. That danger of setting your mind on earthly things that leads to ultimate destruction. It takes you away from Christ and into dangerous territory. Places where you won't receive the joy, the comfort that these supposed earthly idols promise. But in our verse that I want to look at, particularly this morning, Paul gives us the remedy, the safeguard, the, the saving grace from this. Verse 20, let me say it again. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The remedy is to realise that we are citizens of heaven, which changes everything, changes everything. And I want to suggest very quickly two reasons why that changes this whole scenario and our outlook on these things. And firstly, if we are citizens of heaven, 
It means that we belong somewhere else. We belong somewhere else completely different. Because if this earth was all that there is, there'd be no reason not to obsess about the things on it. There's nothing else to gaze at. There's nothing else to pay attention to. It's just this stuff. But actually, if there's more than this earth, if there's actually greater things to come, if there's a whole other realm and sphere of existence, then actually that means that this doesn't have to be it. And the stuff on this planet doesn't have to be our be-all and end-all. That we can have minds and hearts and lives set in another place that we ultimately belong to in the end. Now when Paul speaks about heaven here, he doesn't talk about this imaginary, ethereal, make-believe place of just angels with harps on white clouds playing for all eternity. There may be a bit of that. But actually it's a very real physical place that we're going to be spending our lives for countless thousands and millions of years relating to one another, speaking to one another in the presence of God, enjoying the best things in life, a new creation, better than anything here on earth, taken to another level. And that's where we belong. That's our citizenship. That's where we're heading. And that's where we are already in Christ. And realizing that means that the things of this earth fade in comparison that they lose their power to cause us obsession. Because actually, we're not here for that long, and actually they're so transient that actually they're not there for the long stay. We're going somewhere else. We belong to another place. You may, by the grace of God, get to be on the face of this planet for 80, 90, 100, perhaps up to 120 years for the current generation, which was an amazing thing. But... That will be it. That will be it. And everything that you currently hold on to, everything that you currently perhaps are really fearful about and gripping onto as tight as possible, that will no longer exist. It'll be gone. And that's true for every single one of you. And knowing that, believing that, allows you to loosen your grip in advance. Say, okay, it's not permanent. It's not forever. I belong somewhere else. I belong somewhere else. And the things of this earth, its priorities, its obsessions, well, they're not really to do with me. I belong somewhere else. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 writes this. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That actually, you ought to feel like an alien and a stranger in this world as you walk around. don't know if you ever feel like that. I sometimes do. But actually, this isn't the place I'm meant to be ultimately. That I'm an alien stranger here. I'm meant for another place. And the obsessions of this place, well, take it or leave it. I know where I'm heading. Many of you will know from um, various things that I've said over the past couple of years that in my spare time, I tend to enjoy the odd bit of travel. And um, I've had the great privilege of going to some amazing places on some great deals. And there have been some amazing cultures that have developed across the world to experience that one can go and visit. But I've 
tended to find that whenever I've been to a certain place, after a few days, maybe a week, I start to feel slightly uncomfortable and not at ease. That this culture and this kind of country doesn't quite make sense to me, that its ways of doing things don't quite fit into what I'm used to. That actually things are different here, and I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I like it. I can't quite understand the American obsession with baseball. Don't quite understand it. I, the predilection of Germans towards sausages and cooked meat. Um, yeah, I'm not that big a fan. And the obsession of Italians to not drive in straight lines. I, I, just, I just don't get it. I, I just tend to find when I take the train or the, the plane back and land at Tifo Terminal 5, grey and raining and cold, suddenly feels, oh, this is home. Oh, this makes sense. I understand the people here. Oh, I'm home. And that disease and that discomfort has faded away, almost straight away. I want to say that we should feel very similarly about our lives here on earth, wherever we are, whatever country we go to or are from. A sense of disease and discomfort. This just doesn't quite fit. This isn't quite right. And that's because I belong to another place. And one day, one day you're going to be there, and then you think, oh, this is home. This is home. This makes sense now. And all the priorities and all the obsessions of that past life, well, actually, they didn't make sense, did they, at all? The American pastor, Rick Warren, writes this. You will not be in heaven two seconds before you cry out, why did I place so much importance on things that were so temporary? What was I thinking? Why did I waste so much time, energy, and concern on what wasn't going to last? This isn't the perspective that says that you are to be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. The things of earth are important. Christ came to die for the world. God counts these things as important, but they're not to take that place of ultimate importance. That's for another place, for another person, for another time, which is ours already. Well, that was the first thing that I wanted to say, that our heavenly citizenship means that we belong somewhere else. Secondly, our heavenly citizenship should mean that we live, therefore, a different lifestyle. Going back to verse 20, many scholars have pointed out that when Paul uses this term, citizenship, to the Philippians in particular, it would have had a huge resonance and impact for them. Because you may know, or you may not know, that Philippi, the city they lived in, was one of the few Roman colony cities that were scattered across the empire that had been given that special status of being a colony city because of their support of the Roman army in the past. And because of that special status, that city was counted as Rome, part of the soil of Rome itself, an extension of the city. And that had huge benefits. It meant that every single person there was counted as a citizen of Rome. Even if you weren't born a Roman, if you were born in that city, you became a citizen of Rome automatically. 
with the unique privileges and rights therein. And because of this, because of this, the Philippians sought to honour that special status as much as possible by bringing Rome to that city. And so they transformed the way that they lived and did life. There's historical evidence that suggests that they planned the entire city, the model of the streets and the layout, to imitate that of, the Rome, of Rome's layout on purpose. There's evidence that suggests that they gave up their local laws and took up Roman laws, even though they didn't have to. They stopped speaking the local dialect and on purpose started to speak Latin, the dialect and language of Rome. They even started to dress like they did in Rome, wearing these starchy and uncomfortable togas. Or because they just wanted to honour this really special status that they'd been given and bring a part of Rome to that city. And when Paul uses this term, that the Philippians are citizens of heaven, he's tapping into that. He's saying, yeah, you do that, all that stuff, because you're a citizen of Rome. You want to honour Rome and bring Rome to the place where you live. Well, do you not realise that you're a citizen of heaven? And do you want to bring a part of heaven to where you live? Do you want to honour that in the way that you live your life? And the same is true for us. Don't know what type of citizenship you have, but whatever it might be, you are a citizen of heaven. And I wonder if you want to honour that, that special privilege of belonging to that eternal city, that place where the years have no end, that unique place that belongs to God. It should affect our entire lifestyle. And I want to suggest very briefly at the end of this, three ways that this should change the way we live. Firstly, it should change the way that we react to difficult situations. When Jesus comes and proclaims his ministry at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says that actually what's happening as you see my ministry is that heaven is coming on earth. And then we get to see what it looked like. It looked like ministry towards the sick and poor, comfort to the distressed, the love towards the outcasts and the orphans. That Jesus was all about bringing that taste of heaven down to earth, that peace of heaven here in some very messy places. And for us, let me suggest, when we deal with some very difficult people in the year ahead, some messy situations. Some of you perhaps are already in that already. The question for us as citizens of heaven is, how do I bring that taste of heaven, that glimpse of heaven, down into this place? My conversation with that person that is driving me nuts, are they going to get the aroma of that other place that I belong to? Are they going to sniff it and scent it in advance? in my speech, the way that I speak to those who I love and those who I find difficult, is there going to be a mark of heaven about it that brings heaven on earth? Secondly, I want to suggest that it should really change the goals that we aim for. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. That actually heaven's priority is all about God's will being done. And that should mark our priorities as well. Earth's priorities are all about our will being done. It's about us. Our right. Our fight. Our struggle. As Hitler put it, unfortunately, Mein Kempf. Me. 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 Actually, heaven's priority is about Christ's will. Christ's right. Christ fighting for his people to know him. And it should change our priorities. It should change our priorities, obviously, in prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a model of that. It should change our priorities in everyday living. And this is going to feel uncomfortable because everyone around you won't be living for heaven's priorities. It will feel like you're trying to play a game of football and everyone else is trying to play a game of tennis. There's a mismatch in the rules. You'll feel weird and eccentric and odd. And be sure, that's not just you, though some of you it is. But actually, it's because you are different. Because you're not playing by the same rules. Because you live by different priorities. You're a citizen of heaven. And then lastly, in our everyday living, I think it should change our ultimate hope in life. That our ultimate hope for the future isn't found here on earth. It's actually found in the place we're going to where we belong already. That's what Paul says at the end of our passage. He says, but your citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be made like his glorious body. For the Philippians at the time, their big hope in life, their big rescuer and deliverer as a Roman colony city, was the Roman emperor. That if they ever got in trouble, if the barbarian hordes suddenly came over the hills, they could call on the might of Rome and the legions would come running and that they would be saved. That was their hope on earth. But Paul says here, actually, there's a greater hope, there's a greater salvation, and there's a greater person behind it all. They're citizens of heaven. Their hope was in the saviour that was there, that was coming for them, and that had come. We know that in the context of Philippians, that they were experiencing, some of them, some of the beginnings of the worst persecution that that early church experienced. And for them, this was their ultimate hope. That they wouldn't be saved through man's power, that actually, even if they should die, that they would be saved because of God's Saviour. That either he would return and come to them, or they would go to him. Either way, he would change everything and set everything right. He'd wipe away every tear. He'd restore brokenness and hurt. He'd even give them a new body, it says. He'd completely restore them, body, mind and soul, and bring them to a place much greater than where they were at the moment. That was their hope, the ultimate hope. And it says that they were to eagerly await for him. I wonder where you place your ultimate hope in life. What is it that you eagerly await 
Is it, perhaps, that time when you get to retire and suddenly everything is going to be okay? No more stress of bills, they're sorted, no more mortgage. That actually it's just the nice life, the good life. Is it the hope for some of you of marriage? I just need to find that right partner and it will all be okay. Is it the hope of that idyllic 2.4 children family? I just need to get there. Need to sort it out and we'll get there and we'll be thriving and it's all going to be okay. I wonder what your ultimate hope is. All of those things, let me say, in the end will fail. They will fail. But Christ, your ultimate hope will never. He's yours in advance. The great preacher Spurgeon puts it like this. To come to thee is to come home from exile to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labour, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our citizenship in heaven. Thank you that that is where we belong and that is where we will be. We pray that that might so transform our view of things here on earth that we'd be able to loosen our grip, that we'd be able to hold things lightly, knowing that we will be with you. And we pray that that might transform our lives, our conduct to others, our hope for life, marked by that attitude, that belief that we belong to your heavenly kingdom. Amen.